Welcome to Untangling Christianity, episode 52. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. We hope you'll come along for the conversation, and you can be part of that conversation by leaving comments at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 52. You'll also find related notes and links for this episode at the same place. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. All right, this week has us looking at Chapter 8 of Misunderstood God by Darren Hufford. I thought before we dove into things today, Greg, we should talk about how are we going about this book? Where are we headed? What are you thinking about? how we should approach it. Should we keep going chapter by chapter? Should we start consolidating things? Should we pick up the pace? Uh, I was, I know we talked about this a while back when we first started and we thought about chapter by chapter because, you know, I, I really think for me personally, chapter by chapter helped a lot with not a fan and just seeing how, as we went through the book, um, at least for me, my, my thinking really kind of uh, solidified and my, my, sort of understanding of what was going on and what I wasn't liking and where I would go instead got a lot clearer as we went through. And I kind of needed that time. Um, I wonder though, with not a, f- uh, with, um, um, misunderstood God and particularly with, I'm going to bring it out in today's chapter, you know, chapter eight. Um, I wonder if we can, uh, condense it. Cause I think I know where I want to go with, this. I think I've got a better sense, at least for me, of what I would like to kind of most get out of the book. Great. Great. Yeah. Because I I think what's occurring to me is I read it because we've talked about this before, the the lack of, it it feels more of almost like an anecdotal, it's kind of entertaining, It's it, but it feels mm-hmm. very anecdotal because there's no, I'm going to say there's no scripture verses, which... <laughs> On the one hand, I, I kind of appreciate because there's nothing to take out of context or make a point with that doesn't stand on its own. On the other hand, it it's very it's very kind of to the extreme of being experiential for him that he tries to make experiential for everyone else with lots of we believe this, we see this, our generation this, which we've talked about at length before. So I'm as I'm reading through it, I'm I'm kind of underlining little sections and thinking, oh, that's entertaining, or that's a really provocative way to say that, or wow, that's that sounds really true or really appealing. And I guess I'm kind of thinking, maybe that's how I'd like to approach the rest of the book is just, uh, yeah, touching on different sections like that. But does that fit with what you're thinking, or completely? And actually, your comment really because we didn't. Yeah. rehearse any of this <laughs> no no seriously your your comment there about particularly about the kind of uh the you know us we as a generation and we think that and and uh, th- that's some of where i want to go and 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 some of the other comments too um okay the, look just kick us off all right well um i i actually to begin this one i went back into the the last half of uh, the proud God, which is chapter seven, 
And 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 did we did we? F- I mean, I don't want to. I still want to touch on chapter eight quite a bit. But did we finish the latter half of chapter seven? I'm trying to remember. I don't know. I had a. I had the, a note on seventy six where he talks about, um, how God wants to be worshipped and that. And I don't know if we talked about that or not. Well, is that the section you're thinking or? Yeah, I mean, 72, I know we talked about 76, um, really bears mentioning too. And I guess the thing that I would want to, I guess what's coming clear for me is that, and I've said it before, there is a lot of gold in this book. Um, but I think the gold is certainly not found in pure nuggets. I think the problems that I'm having with the book are getting in the way of the gold being seen for what it is, or if you do see it being taken up because you see a lot of other stuff and you're like, this is dross. This doesn't work. What are you talking about? And and I guess what's been clarifying in my mind, what I've been coming to see through reading this book is, here, let me let me bring out, let's just touch on those, those pieces of gold first because I don't want to make it, I really do want to highlight them. I do really do think they are gold. So, you know, he's got this, um, uh, page 72 is about the contrast between God creating us so that we could worship God. And here, you know, I, I, I think, and I'm going to bring this out much more, but I think what's, what's beginning to um, raise itself as very problematic for me is that Darren wants to communicate some things. I, I'm, I'm sensing very strongly through this book that Darren wants to communicate some things that he believes and he understands about God. And I would say that many of those things I resonate with deeply. Many of those things I think are in line with my, one, experiences of God, two, what I take from the Bible about God. Now, granted, in the book, he makes very, I don't know if he's made a single overt scriptural reference there are some um, generalized scriptural references. I don't think I've seen any. Well, yeah, and I, I do think that's problematic. Like, as you say, you know, we don't, it's something that, it's not something that, that we get hung up on, the way we got sort of hung up and sidetracked on it with not a fan, but it also is something that I think, because it underlies a lot of what he's saying, and yet he's not putting it out there, it's very difficult for us to weigh up what he's saying in the right way. Um, you know, and we went through that process of weighing up with Kyle Eidelman and we found his message and his, uh, not solely his message, but his message and the fact that he's based it on certain scriptural verses and how he's interpreted those verses, we ultimately found that message to be wanting. I would really like to see, I think, I think Darren's position could be greatly solidified if he could do the work of tying it in and making it stand, making it be cohesive with the scriptural texts that are related to it, and also working with the ones that would seem to contradict him, because they're there. And we need to create that sort of balance intention. That's what it's about. It's not going to be a complete story that all makes sense, and it's one easy answer, and it's just, you know, we talked before about, you know, Christianity being very uncomfortable with either, with, with two options. You know, you need a winner. You can't have a both and. you got to have an either or. So he's got this gold on page 72, this whole idea. He said uh, in the top, he's got a, a subsection within the chapter called God is not proud. And it begins with, so if it wasn't for worship, why did God create us? 
And then, and then about 15 lines down, he writes, why did God create us? Because love requires expression. And I think that this is dead on, right? Um, if you look at the creeds, uh, pardon me, not the creeds, the uh, things like the Westminster Confession, uh, if you read R.C. Sproul's take on this, you know, he also starts off with the same number one contention that the Westminster Confession starts off. Why are we created? To worship God and enjoy Him forever. And I would say, no, not at all. We're created to be in a love relationship with God. And where does that come from? It comes from God loving, God desiring to express that love, which, is, which will always be a creative expression. Love by its very nature is creative, you know, and how ultimately creative, how more ultimately creative, if I can say it that way, than by, by the bringing into being of, of, of entities like ourselves, of um, a world and existence and a possibility for relationship. It's stunning. What did you like on page 76? Well, he was talking about the idea of that when he goes to different places, people you know, compliment him and, and yeah. it, it makes him feel good. And But then he talked about the difference of when his wife compliments him, it's completely different because she completely knows him. There's a huge difference between someone telling me things out of distant respect and someone telling me they love what they know about me. And then he says, that's how God wants to be worshipped. His first and foremost desire is to be known by you. Worship is a consummation of that relationship. Yeah. Which I, so that part I thought was fascinating because, yeah, there's a whole another school of thought that is all about, you know, like you're quoting R.C. Sproul there, referring to his views. Yeah, we're we're just placed on this earth to just, like, our number one job is just to worship God all the time, which he kind of gets into in, is it the proud God or the offensive God? I think it's the proud God there is that chapter, yeah. Oh, it is this chapter. <laughs> Yeah, get them all mixed up. So, so yeah, it was just a different take on. Oh, that's a different way of. That's a definitely a different way of. If you were to take that to a church today on this Sunday and say, "Hey, is this what you think it means to worship God?" I think people would be like, "Whoa, that's scandalous." That's you know, worship is a one way street. It's funny. A little further down from what you read, there is that line. Remember, worship is not just for God. It's time for both when both of you can express your love for each other. And, you know, when I was reading it, the parts you've read are the parts I wanted to highlight. It's about being known, being truly known and deeply loved. So this is coming into me with this, this is sinking in with my perspective on love and truth. Because part of truth is that knowledge, that understanding, that deep sense and deep knowing that God has of who we are. And being, being, I mean, love only finds its true consummation, I think, when there is deep knowledge between the parties. You know, I deeply know you and I deeply love you. And sometimes I deeply know you. And because of that, I deeply love you. You know, some of it is, I know you and I know, and despite what I know of you, I love you. Despite of the, the difficult and the awkward and the negative things, I love you. And I think tied in with that, it's not one or the other. I think it's both. 
I love you. And because of the wonderful things, because of these great things, and because of what I see in you, and because of, because of, sometimes it's just because you are. I love you. And so for me, when I think about this, this whole idea of worshiping God outside of a context of deep relationship, and for me, I, I, I also changed what he wrote a little bit. I think for me, what I would say is his first and foremost desire is to be known in a love relationship by you. Worship is the consummation of that relationship. To be known in a love relationship with you. It is not just knowing God. It is not just, just a scientific, factual, a Bible-based knowledge about God. It is knowledge in and through relationship. And, and I think that's a fine, um, I don't think I'm, I'm so much adding to what he's saying. I think he's saying that. I think he didn't write it. And I think it would have been better if he wrote it that way. Well, this is a situation, this is a, a section two where it just sounds like to me, like it's Darren's opinion. This is what Darren thinks, so it's true, but yeah, but what like how much richer could it have been to say, "Here's what God wants from worship. This is how God wants to be worshipped, and let me give you some examples of where I draw this idea from. Yes, and I read you know these these stories in the Bible, these sections of scripture that I've put together and interpreted in this way, I think build a very strong case for this is how God wants to be worshipped. That would be way more powerful and perhaps more useful in a wider context. Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. If, we, if you're okay to segue into chapter 8 now. Yeah, let's go there. That is what, I'm, what is really coming clear for me. That we've got a couple of things going on here. This book, like I said, there's a lot of gold. But I think the gold is both mixed in with, with, with just you know, base elements or, or, or dross or whatever, stuff you don't want. And it's, you know, all around it, there's all this stuff that you don't want. And it's really hard to go in and get the gold out of this book. I think you're, you can be distracted from that. You mentioned early on when we just started the podcast, this kind of propensity that Darren has for making statements like, you know, we've all experienced this or our generation thinks like this or this kind of globalizing. And I think, you know, I've mentioned this before. I think we want to generalize. We want to try to generalize from our, our experiences. In other words, we want to try to dis- distill the essence of our experiences, right? And, and try to offer these and say, could it perhaps be like this? And I remember an earlier podcast where he had done this and I, I kind of honed in on this. I think this was chapter, the end of chapter six. Um, and, and I really found that to be a much more thought provoking and engaging way of getting me to kind of consider what he was saying, as opposed to saying, you know, it's like this. And so I found in, in chapter, um, eight here, um, again, I, I don't want to, I really want to focus on the fact that there's gold here. And I guess my big thing is when there's really valuable stuff, how do we bring it out? What's required to bring it out? And I guess my first point is, we need to generalize if we as, as individuals know something, if we've learned something. So as you said, like on page 76, just there, it sounds like it's just Darren giving you his, his impressions and his view. And I'm supposed to believe it because Darren says so. You know, and, and that's, that's entirely the opposite. If you read in page, um, on page 83, when he's talking about people, you know, using the Bible to convince other people or just kind of um, almost bully them. Um, 
What's funny though about that is is I read this section and was thinking of not a fan. Ah. Fairly specific. Like I <laughs> I read this section and was like, well yeah, that's he's he's basically saying what I found to be totally wrong and lacking in not a fan with the way that not a fan used scripture references. Is that where you're going or are you going somewhere else? I was going somewhere else, but I'm, okay. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you're saying. Well, he says, you know, on 83, he says, we have built our theology on a rude God who says, do it because I said so. It's a safeguard against anyone who dares to ask why. Why do this with the Bible more than anything else? Why? Oh, and then he says, we do this with the Bible more than anything else. Once the verse has been read, if you dare to ask why, your entire faith is on trial. I, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but... no. And then he goes on to say, truthfully, I believe that quoting scripture is the escape route for thousands of pastors, evangelists, and authors today. It is something we have all learned to hide behind. It's easier than taking the time to explain our words to the listener because we know that Christians have been programmed to robotically agree the moment they see a scriptural reference. Christianity has injected a because the Bible says so clause into the hearts of modern day Christians in an effort to cause them to give up individual thinking and blindly accept anything without question. Mm, I... I don't know that it's uh <laughs> I, I don't know that that almost sounds like kind of a conspiracy theory and I don't think it's that intentional. But mm. that whole sense of the Bible says it so we have to do it, just turn your brain off and do it. Mm-hmm. I did feel was in not a fan. Jesus says to pick up your cross and follow him daily, you need to do it. You know, yeah. and what's a cross? Well, something that hurts really bad, so find something that hurts really bad. It doesn't say occasionally, it says daily. So do it daily and then you'll be a true follower. Okay. I mean, can, can I can I play devil's advocate? Of course. I mean... <laughs> Not that the devil needs an advocate, as some would say. Well, well you know, I, don't wanna, <laughs> I don't wanna quite say it this way, but clearly what I'm doing is I'm playing Kyle Eidelman's advocate. So oh, okay. if, 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 if anyone listening to this is a real fan of Not a Fan, you, you've heard Rick's our other podcast. not taking your side. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be really ironic, but I, I do wanna... I am taking Kyle Adelman's side. Okay. I, in his absence, I'm going to stand up for Kyle Adelman and say, what do you think about the fact that Kyle Adelman actually did use Bible verses? He, like, clearly he's made use of Bible verses and not a fan. That's, but that's the bittersweet, the bittersweet irony. I don't know what the right word is, but yeah, I'm not sure what's worse. Like using verses huh. and and manipulating them and twisting them into something that I can't get to. Right. Or not using any at all. Right. Oh, okay. And Interesting. Then, I mean, but then there's also the, for me personally, I consider myself less of an academic than yourself. I don't also want to read like 35 pages of heavy duty <laughs> exegesis. In other words, I don't know. I think of myself kind of a layman I, I, in, in this context. I want enough stuff if I do some homework, I can get to some of the same conclusions. Right. But I also don't want to read 17 volumes about why, you know, this is why we worship God. I'm looking for something in the middle, I guess. I'm looking for something in the middle, or I'm looking for something to let, to allow me and to direct me to go deeper if I'm so inclined. So I, I think I hear you saying that you're looking for a, ba- a balance between accessibility and and something that's generally convincing. Or um... yeah, because I'm all about clarity. I'm all about okay 
crystal, like in as clear as terms possible, explain to me what this means. What it's, you know, what were the conclusions and mm-hmm. how can I go deeper behind that and, and get to the same place that you have without, you know, reading 500 pages to get there? <laughs> <laughs> that's my perfect world okay i i have to tell you I, i'm not i don't know if i'm playing kyle adelman's advocate here but i'm playing another advocate okay. of some sort because i'm going to tell you a story okay uh so i i you know live uh there's a, there's a very small hamlet near where i live and it's a very unusual place uh it's f- almost entirely populated either by farmers or by um artists and when I, I say artists, um, this is the type of caliber I'm talking. One of the fellows, there's a, there's a, um, the reason it's populated by artists is because there's a, 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 a school of the arts there. And the fellow who looks after uh, the music, his oldest son, I think is 24. And 25. He's just finished his degree and he is, uh, he has gone to, uh, Toronto and he is playing in the Toronto, uh, symphony or Philharmonic orchestra. And he, at that age, is either the first viola or the second violin, which is extremely, extremely prestigious, let alone for that that age. And, um, somebody heard his son play and it came up to him and, and the, the fellow's name is Bill, the, the father and Bill, Bill was recounting the story. He said, you know, they came up to my son and they said, you know, what's the, what's the secret of playing? Like, like you play playing so well. And he said, uh, and Bill said, but you know, really the question was, how do I get to be as good as you are without practicing? <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know that wasn't that. That's not what you're. That's not what you're saying. I'm just thinking that. But it strikes of, you that way. <laughs> well, there's some resonance there. There's some resonance. You know, but don't make me work too hard, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it, Johnny. But that's but, the magic about Christianity and the Bible that we don't have to work because God does all that for us. He just reveals <laughs> it to us. Being well, sarcastic. I can mute myself while I barf. Just a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um. Well, you know, let me. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna come back and. Take Who are you another, gonna be now? <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna find out. Um, I'm gonna take another middle ground position because I think, on the one hand, you're right. Not everybody has to do that. So if you, if we're working with the, and I don't think this is getting off track, but I, I, if we're working with the, the the metaphor that's often put out in in uh, New Testamental uh, writings about the body. As a body, no, we're, we don't all have to have the same abilities, the same skill sets, the same interests. Uh, we don't have to, you know, um, provide the same benefits um, that everybody else does. Uh, and I, so I think that, yeah, we do, on the one hand, need people who can go deep. We do need the uh, the RT Francis and the NT Wrights who can create and the uh, James Dunn's and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These, these, these fantastic exegetes, uh, you know, FF Bruce and, uh, et cetera, who can do this type of work and provide this for us so that when we need it, it's like, okay, you know, I just got, I got two new commentaries. I got NT France on Mark and I got, um, uh, one on John, the, the name of the, uh, 
exegete is escaping me, but you know, and I know that those are there on my bookshelf and I can go to them and pull them off and I need to have something and I can get it. And not everybody needs to have, these are like some of the biggest, heavy dutyest, most heavy duty uh, commentaries you can find. These are not like the, uh, you know, N.T. Wright, you know, for everybody series, which is great. You know, I'm not knocking N.T. Wright. I think he's fantastic. But those are, you know, single volume, 150 pages. And these are 1,200 volumes for, for one biblical book. And so we need to have that. So no, I don't think you need to be doing that work and you need to get there. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for you. And I don't know what it's going to take for every person. But I do know and I do believe that uh, the body metaphor is a valid metaphor and that re- interreliance um, amongst Christians for the purpose of understanding who God is, of, of better uh, embracing and, and um, you know, understanding their faith is, is not only acceptable, but it's in some levels, it's crucial. So, but I, but I, if I tie that back in with the book here, um, like I like what you, uh, what you're seeing here on page 83 and saying, hey, you know, we, we, you can't just throw around a Bible verse. But I guess what struck me in this is that in addition to globalizing where I think he should be distilling his perspective and generalizing from it, don't globalize to me. Don't, don't say, I've experienced what you've experienced, but say, what's at the heart of your experience and the heart of other people's experience and offer that. That's much more inviting and that is going to get people that's going to be really, it's going to make your gold a lot shinier, right? It's going to polish it off. It's going to separate some of that other stuff out from it. But the other thing that I think is really missing is that some of the formulation here is just, um, some of it's terrible. And by formulation, I mean the way we've thought through and put these things together that can inv- include, you know, how I've exegeted something, how I've woven uh, scriptural verses together. And I don't mean woven, like I'm not trying to be, that's a neutral term, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to say that people have, uh, that he's, I'm not, that's not even a reference to Kyle. It's just, you know, how scripture goes together to uh, kind of underlie or to tell a story about who God is, right? To, to kind of substantiate Kyle's or maybe uh, Darren's version or to kind of tell the story as Kyle would tell it. I think those are really, that's really important. But when he says things like, uh, I'm going to flip back to page 81 and he's talking about this whole idea of tone. So this is called, this is chapter is the offensive God. Many Christians, I'm reading from page 79, many Christians believe God is rude and wouldn't have it any other way. They believe this is evidence of his strength um, and power. And here he, this is another kind of example of him. Uh, but I, I, don't, think, I don't relate to that at all. That well, God is rude. I, I that, you see, and this is where I'm, I mean, I can get to some of his other characterizations that what people believe about God. But when, if you were to say, John, do, do you ever think that God is rude? I would say no. Well, and I think what he's tried to do here is, I think if I step back from this book, I think Darren has some legitimate and legitimately valuable insights into who God is and what it means to be a Christian, and I think that he's tried to frame those through um, 1 Corinthians um, 13. And I think that what he's tried to do, I think he's got two different projects on the go, and I don't think he's recognized that. So this is me with my, 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 my philosopher 
you know, uh, um, grad research hat on looking at this book and saying, why doesn't this book, when it, when it, it's like, you know, I, I lift weights sometimes and my shoulders click and that's not really a good sign. And he, this book is clicking and clacking and stuttering all over the place. Why is it doing that? I think because the way he set it up is innately, um, there are some innate contradictions and that's not the way you want a book to be. So can you say, you know, love is like this and therefore God is love. And I'm going to sort of work from first Corinthians 13 to try to, I don't know, demonstrate some things about God on that basis. Sure you can. But I think what Darren's done is he's got a whole bunch of experiences and uh, a good deal of insight. And he's tried to marry that up and express it in that way. And I think it would have been a whole lot better for him if he would have taken a little more time and said, you know, okay, some of what I'm trying to do works well with this project of uh, some of what I, what I know and have experienced about God integrates well with the project of expressing God, who God is through uh, looking at first, you know, you know Corinthians uh, 13. Some of it doesn't. So when I looked at this and I just thought, rude, what is that? And then if you go a little further down the page there, I think you get to the heart of what's going on for him here. I'm on page 79. Over the years, I have watched a growing trend that has brought much concern to my heart. It seems to replay itself in almost every Christian circle at one time or another. So again, we're globalizing here. It's, it's everywhere, right? It usually happens when a preacher is relating a conversation he supposedly had with God. And when he comes to what God said, he presents him, or God, with a callous tone that makes him sound disrespectful and unloving. Skipping a few lines down, God supposedly said to him, you make me sick. Another time, a story was told in which God's response to a person was, do I stutter or are your ears flapping? And again, I think, you know, he's trying to take his experiences making them too big by globalizing them. And he's trying to link them in with 1 Corinthians 13 and try to, he's trying to create, use this as a format for the book. I don't think it works. And I think that's part of the problem I have, but I've got a bigger problem. And that is that some of the ways that Darren has formulated things, um, they're just, they're, they're so blatantly wrong that when I come across them, it's a huge act of will for me and effort for me to say, no, you know what? This is gold. This is completely fantastic. And it doesn't matter that this part before this part of me was, was junk. And I, and I want to, I want to be clear. I'm not trying to trash Darren and I will tell you what I think is, 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 is junk, but I, I think we are readily and too easily dismissed when we do not do. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be callous or, or, or hurtful when we do not do the hard work of formulating things well enough, well enough, you know, they can always be great in terms of formulation. And, and some of us never get there. I don't know that I ever get there necessarily, but doing it well enough is an, is mandatory. So when he's talking about tone, he's, uh, you know, the first part of 79, that first section I read you, um, he talks about tone. So when the preacher comes to what God said, he presents him with a callous tone. He goes on a little bit more about tone. And on page 81 in the middle, today, many of our messages, messengers don't seem to reenact God's tone very well. The only way the Bible can be properly interpreted is if the messenger knows and understands the tone of the author's heart. He talks a little bit more about tone. 
Um, and then he gives an example and it's things like this, these types of examples, or I guess where he's trying to drive home his point. And I don't know if it's, I don't know how this, this got in there, but it shouldn't have at the very last words of page 81 and flipping onto page 82. Have you ever spoken terrible things to a dog in a loving voice? The dog wags his tail and licks your face and excitedly spins in circles. Have you ever spoken words of love to a dog in an angry voice? The dog cowers and runs away. This is why so many Christians are hiding today. Loving words have been spoken to them in an angry and unloving voice. Well, I'm not sure as, a, as an intelligent adult how I'm supposed to think that there is any validity. You know, so I... Oh, put, I, see, I, I see validity there. Totally. Dog, well, dogs don't understand words. No, but that's the whole... Dogs only understand tone. No, 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 but this is the whole... Oh, I agree with Everett here. But I would agree based on my experience. I can't tie back to the Bible, but no, that's the Talk whole... I, I, I'm really not trying to beat up on not a fan, but it just keeps coming to mind. The, in other words, not a fan is all about how how we need to do all this horrible stuff and how much it's going to hurt and how wonderful it will be. And oh, by the way, on the last page, you talk about how much God loves us. Okay, but... Uh... And it's supposed to be wonderful, and you're supposed to just smile and be like, "Oh yeah, give me more of that." All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the potentially unthinkable. I'm gonna gonna defend Kyle Eidelman here, and I'm gonna say, I would rather have a message that is not for me nonsensical, that misuses the Bible, than a message that I think potentially misuses the Bible but is nonsensical. So when he's writing here about the dog, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> Sure well, I think he's writing nonsense. Like he's he's so using an analogy think, about. So you don't about, think his, you don't think his analogy holds water because people are more intelligent than animals. Well, he's trying to say that your words and your tone have to match. But the problem is with with animals, or at least with dogs, as f- as far as I know, unless he knows some some super duper research that I don't know, dogs. Other than you know, it's it's like it's like if you read The Far Side or Charlie Brown or something, right? Like the only words, I think the far side, he, he, you know, what we say, it's, it's, it's a contrast between a, a split comic. On the left, it's what we say, and, and we're talking to a dog. And the right, it's what the dog's, dog hears. You know, it's, here, Rex, good boy, da 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 Rex. And what you hear on the, what you see the dog says is, did it, Rex, Rex. Like, dogs don't understand words. The analogy doesn't hold dogs do understand tone like tone's important um when you're talking to dogs but it's pretty much all you've got and so when he's trying to make this this distinction between tone and words like tone and content you can't make it with a dog like what are you doing you're undercutting you're undercutting what you're trying to do you're giving me an example that makes me shake my head and think are you really serious do you want me to kind of learn from this or are you like where did you come up with this so for me, I just thought this type of stuff is, is, is silly. And I've got a few others, not that are quite as blatant as this. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is I would rather have a situation where, okay, you know, he's, he's, Kyle Eidelman is putting out a verse. I'm not too sure about this, but I can go to the verse. I can look it up and I can kind of have something to work with. Whereas with, with that type of thing, um, what I'm getting at is, the way we formulate matters, the way we formulate a situation is really important. 
And I think what Darren has done is he's got these nuggets of gold, but a lot of, so much of the formulation around them is really problematic. Um, well, I you. think I might have figured something out as you're talking. So I wonder if he has a bias against scripture. And here's why. Top of page 84. Many mm. people now believe that blind obedience is a sign of spiritual maturity. We have come to see God as a rude slave master who isn't interested in our opinion. He just wants us to do what he says when he says it. Mm. And before that is the section that I previously read about doing what the Bible says and... Yeah. No, no, did did we... Page, page 80... We're jumping all over the place. I don't know that I read this. He says, we have built around... We've built our theology on a rude God who says, do it because I said so. Why do yep. this with the Bible more than... We do this with the Bible more than anything else. Once the verse is read, if you dare to ask why, your entire faith is on trial. So, I... I don't know. Could that be playing into why he doesn't want to cite any scripture? Well, it's a good point. But the blind obedience thing is totally familiar. That's what I feel like I saw not a fan. This verse says this, you must do it. And, you know, the the examples that Eidemann gave of of people that were kind of heroes were the ones that just kind of did the unthinkable and just blindly went to a foreign country to be a missionary or... Mm -hmm. uh, that was kind of held as the highest ideal was this blind obedience to God. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I, I hear what you're saying. I think what, what I'm hearing you saying is this offers a lot of really helpful correctives to some of the problems and not a fan. And I totally agree with you. But I think if I were a reader from not a fan, this book I don't think they would make it past the first chapter. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. And you know what? That's there's tr- not enough scripture references. <laughs> well, yeah, but not only that, when he's talking about stuff like, uh, okay, that just, just, uh, just the two sentences you read. We have built our theology, middle of page 83. We built our theology on a rude God who says, do it because I said so. It's a safeguard against anyone who dares to ask why. And I, I, I don't think this is this is first of all it doesn't have anything to do with rudeness. I think it's it's uh, fear about the truth and about the implications of the truth and a lack of love. And I don't think it has to do with God. I think it has to do with us as people. Fair right? point. So yeah. so when I when I read this I'm like that come on man really we built our the you're trying to structure this into your your the format you've laid out for the book. You're not really sort of, if you, I think if you went deeper, I think if he went deeper and thought about this a little bit more, I'm, I'm sorry to be, maybe that sounds really arrogant, but qu- quite frankly, this has nothing to do with God being rude or God being presented as rude. I've experienced this, you've experienced this, and n- neither one of us, when, the, when we began talking about chapter eight, could relate to this idea of God being rude. I think he's forcing this kind of uh, um, uh, construction because he's laid the book out that way and he has to. Well, you know what? That's a bad way to do it. Just like it's a bad way to take scripture the way Kyle Eidelman's done it and use it in ways that just aren't cohesive and coherent with the rest of scripture. You can't do that. You can, but I mean, I think you're mistreating the Bible. Well, I think he's mistreating us as readers here. And I, and I, I'm, I'm sorry if that's harsh. I'm talking about Darren. If you're not doing enough work with your formulation, if it's not good enough, you're going to lose people. And you know what? You and me are the choir. He is preaching to the choir when he's writing some of this stuff, and I'm still having a hard time, right? He'll do like one or two good points, and then I'm like, what? 
what are you talking about? Really? I mean, come on. That's nuts. You know, and this, for me, it ties back in to an underrated, undereducated church that needs one, to formulate better things, and two, to work with dialogue better. This, for me, is really at the heart of what I see the problems to be. You know, on the one hand, he's globalizing. On the other hand, there, the formulation just is not there. And even later, when he's talking about, um, I'm just going down the same page, some of the same pieces you just read uh, at the beginning of the podcast. Truthfully, I believe that quoting scripture is the escape route for thousands of pastors, evangelists, and authors today. It's something we have learned to hide behind. It's easier than taking the time to explain our words to the listener because we know that Christians have been programmed to robotically agree. And I thought, no, it's not because it's easier. That's not it. The reason is when you, like, it's, <laughs> you told me a story once. You were at uh, some sort of um, evangelistic thing or, I don't know, the music was on and whatever, and you talked to the person who was leading it and you asked them some questions. Why do you think, and they, they kind of didn't give you good answers. I don't remember what you're talking What? Tell me more. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll... I'll, I'll recount what I recall, and, and you can correct me if you can remember it, but you were talking to me, it was a long time ago, you were at some church event, and, uh, you know, it was kind of, uh, uh, you were, I'm not sure if it was at a, a particularly, you know, emotionally uh, prompted moment, or if it was just throughout the your time there, and you're asking the leader questions, and you're really not getting any good answers. And I guess, and I've experienced this too, and I don't think it's because people are rude. I don't think it's because they're not taking time. And I don't think it's because they think I've been robotically programmed. They're not giving me the answers because they don't have them. Uh, yeah, no, I would tell Yeah, I don't remember what situation you're referring to, but yes, I would totally agree with what you're saying. Yeah, okay. they, they don't. Yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it doesn't go very deep. No. But I don't think it goes very deep because a lot of value is placed on this blind obedience thing and this blind, blind, I don't mean that in a condescending way. I think a lot of, a ton of weight is placed on being quote, blindly obedient to the, to the scripture and right. the, and the, and, and not that I've interpreted anything from it. It's just clearly there. And but so is... th that's, you don't really need to go any deeper because you just, it's all scriptures just, it's there. There's, it's just, you know, there's no need to go deep because it's just all there plainly in front of us. Yes. I'm being sarcastic because uh, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I'm okay. sarcastically agreeing with you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I'm biting my tongue here, but my point is, like, if you read a little further down uh, in that same, at the bottom of page 83, to even ask why regarding the verse is misinterpreted as doubt. And number one, I've got a big problem with that. Um, you know, the idea that there's anything wrong with doubt. Who cares if it's doubt or who cares if it's curiosity? I don't really care. The fact is somebody has a question. But but the point I'm getting at here is in the second last, the third last sentence, the second last sentence, we have been taught to believe that he, meaning God, never negotiates or explains. That's, I'm not sure who he's talking about. I've never been taught that. I've never heard anything about that. Oh, I, that sounds familiar to me. Really? You've yeah. been taught that God, God, God doesn't want you to know what the Bible verse means. No, God would want me to know what the Bible verse means, but in terms of negotiating with God, like that's insane. You don't negotiate with God. God is the, God is true, and He's God, and so 
who are you to question him? I mean, he said it. It's in the Bible. You just need to do it. Okay, but I think the context here is about understanding what the Bible verse means. I'm going to read the whole okay. uh, the three sentences. To even ask why regarding the verse is misinterpreted as doubt. We believe this way because the God we have been raised with is flat out rude. We've been taught that yeah, he never that... negotiates or explains. Okay. Yes and no. Uh, leave out the rude part and I still agree. Because I'm I'm willing to bet hundreds of dollars that anyone listening to me on this podcast says, yeah, John, poof. He just he just, he wants to doubt all this stuff because he doesn't want to do it. If he would just do all this stuff, then he would know God. But boy, he's he's going to throw up as many roadblocks as he can to every verse he gets his hands on because he just doesn't want to do it. I I hear that, and it'd be good if you could tie that into what I'm going to say next because what I'm hearing here, what, what what's what's rankling me is we've been taught to believe that. We've definitely been taught to believe that that questioning the meaning of a Bible verse is essentially problematic. But that has nothing to do with the idea that God doesn't want me to know or that God is rude. Nothing at all. I have never heard that anywhere from anyone but Darren. And when you put that across to me like that, and when you kind of say, this is the way it is, I'm like, you know what, man, you've got a great point. Why are you trying to build me into your world and your past? Why are you trying to formulate this in a way where it has to do with rudeness? Why are you trying to take your great point and stick it with a whole bunch of dross so that the only person who's going to be bothered to go in and chip off all that dross by the little tiny fleck of something that looks promising, that could be gold, and, and then lo and behold, look, I just chipped off all the dross. It is gold. I chipped off all the outer ore. It is gold. It, the only people that are going to do that are people that are already holding your position. This book is not going to convince, as we've talked, you know, for a number of reasons, about anybody who happens to be in the not a fan camp. And you know what? I think it should be able to convince them. I think it's got, he's got the goods in this book to make people think twice and that he's not going to do it. And this is not, I'm not sort of on the one hand getting down on Darren. I want to say for me personally, for Greg Monteith, I do not want to go the way that Darren has gone. Because I do want people to think twice. I do want people to listen to what I have to say. They may not agree. If I can get them to think twice, I'm successful. What they do with those thoughts are their own because they're their thoughts and their process. But you know what? My responsibility, just like we've talked about this a couple of times, uh, me being at a hardware store, the woman on the line behind me slides a track to the cashier. It's an impossible no-win situation. I'm, she's putting that, that employee in a no-win situation. There's four people in line behind her. There's no way that that can be received well. It's a no-win situation. And when, when I, as a communicator, whether that's as an author, a podcaster, or a blogger, do that, I'm making a mistake. So, so I think Darren has made a big mistake in that regard. And I want to flip this to the positive and say, on the positive note, we as Christians need to, number one, don't globalize distill and generalize and suggest, could it be? Number two, we need to uh, work at formulating what we're saying well. Don't let the format of your, 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 your communication drive the content. Do it the other way around and formulate that content well. So you know what? You want to do a book on 1 Corinthians 13 and how God is, is like and not like the aspects of 1 Corinthians 13. He's like the positive side and not like the negative. Go for it. But be careful. 
Don't just pile in all your stuff in there and think that you're going to make it all fit and work because it's going to have a negative effect on people when the formulation and the way you've lined the content in the form or the content in the, yeah, the content in the form of the book are jarring. That doesn't work. And lastly, I think we need this emphasis on dialogue. You know, um, I think he would get a lot further. Sometimes I think Darren, like for Darren, it's not a problem, I don't think, with dialoguing with non-Christians. He doesn't seem to... The book isn't really about that. I'm not kind of saying yay or nay on that, but just dialoguing with Christians in the sense that, you know, hey, is this your experience? Versus, you know, I guess I'm coming back to that whole point of experience, but expressing it or of um, of globalizing, but expressing it a little differently uh, and saying, you know, part of what it is to integrate our experiences well and present them to others well is, a, is as an effort of dialogue. Because what he's doing is really kind of shoving them at me and he's making me either say yay or nay. And you know what? I'm just not going to say yay. I'm not going to agree. No, that's not my experience. That, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And you know what? If I can't, in some ways, like you said earlier, John, on page 76, it seems like it's just Darren's opinion because he hasn't backed it up with scripture. But you know what? When he puts something out there that's, easy, that's accessible, that's about regular life, that's about church experiences, and a lot of his readers are going to have had those. If he can't be, and this is a big word, but if he can't be trusted on that, if he can't be trusted not to try to take his experience and his world and just kind of uh, slapdash apply that to me, how can he be trusted on page 76 when he's making some of these big and I think wonderful claims about God? That's the problem I see. If you create an environment of mistrust in the little things, there is no way you're going to have trust on the big things. The only way you're going to have that is if somebody already buys into the message. And that's great. But I think you want to reach more people than that. So one other thing, this, I don't know that this connects to the, the point that you just made, but it was one thing that jumped out on me. It's on, what, it's on page 87. Mm. One of the, I'm quoting, One of the statements I hear most from people when I inquire about their relationship with God is this. God has me in a wilderness. It's as though God has left them on top of the refrigerator like an avocado waiting to ripen. I love that. (laughs) Many people actually believe this is who God is. They see themselves as being in a perpetual state of incompletion, and they honestly believe that God not only endorses this idea, but that he also participates in it. And I would read that and say, oh, yeah, that's totally out there. I mean... I'm in this horrible job and it's just, you know, it's borderline abusive, but you know, God is really teaching me character and and to trust on him. And God really has me in this situation. Maybe he does. Maybe you just need to quit your job. I don't know. But then on the other hand, you need to provide for your family. But this is a very common, yeah, that God has us kind of in this God quote is, teaching me all these lessons and is and is leading me through this he's put me in this really hard place to learn these lessons yeah which uh, some people would say god doesn't do that god doesn't bring god cannot bring evil into our lives he can based on the world this is a 500 other podcasts but <laughs> i'm gonna say based on the world and the way it is today he's able to work in spite of all the bad stuff that happens but does he bring bad stuff so that we can learn good stuff i i've always heard that todd and i, I think i'm questioning that 
Yeah, that kind of greater good argument is a little sketchy. So with the five minutes remaining, just just explain all that and take us home. <laughs> uh, okay, five minutes. Uh, I'm going to set this up by throwing a curveball. Oh, okay. You, you know I'm going to do it, right? So I, lo- I, this is, I wanted to go to this page. I'm so glad you brought us to this page. I have a different agenda on this page, and I want to go there and then try to swing back through that. Do it. To what you've raised. Okay. Okay. One of the things we talked about earlier, you talked about on page 76, how your comment was, sounds like it's just Darren. Like he hasn't given me any biblical content, anything that I can use to back this up or understand this maybe more clearly or, 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 or you know, um, from, a, from a biblical perspective. This is one of the only times where Darren has, he's not uh, giving you Bible verses, he's not even giving you chapters, but he's giving you a story. And he's presenting part of that story. So if I take what you read and I go down to the next paragraph, that's where I have some huge problems. And I think readers would find <laughs> some huge problems with this. I want to highlight this. and then This is back like the, the yin and the yang. It's like really good. Oh, I don't like it at all. <laughs> well, it is. It is. And you know what? I, I sincerely value Darren's, Darren's perspective. I really think, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm serious with this word gold. There's gold in here. This guy is, and I don't think there's gold in a lot of books. You know, I'm not finding gold in every single book I read. In fact, I think gold is very rare and he's got some. But when he writes things like, um, uh, in New Testament times, if you were a Christian, uh, you were, you were in the promised land, not the wilderness. The wilderness time was before you were saved. Make no mistake about it. God will not put you in the wilderness. It was his intention to bring the Israelites through the wilderness. I can read the whole thing. They're the ones who chose to stay because of fear. Later, the Israelites received the entire promised land in one day, but they possessed it bit by bit. Um, I have no idea what he's talking about here. It was yeah, his didn't intention. God, didn't God bar them from the promised land because they were messing up? Well, you know, and this is, this is, I think, where one of the problems we have when we tell stories about something and I'm not talking about an experience. I'm talking about something quotable. If I tell you a story about another book, rather than, say, quoting the story from the other book, I'm giving you my slant and my perspective. Instead of saying, you know, here's my percent on it, and here's what it is, you make your call on it. And this, I think, is a, is a huge glaring mistake. And I think Darren has got this I, I'm not sure how anybody who reads their Bible. I, I know I've been, I've been, I've been. Ha- this is a pretty heavy hammer to drop on Darren, but I'm dropping it. Um, it was his, meaning God's. It's capital H. It was his God's intention to bring the Israelites through the wilderness. Well, yes and no. You know, God was complete. The, the Old Testament is completely clear. There is an entire generation that will die here. In fact, you are in the wilderness because. I'm not going to just, you know, snuff you out, but, you know, you live out your days here. That's it. It's this kind of um, uh, incarceration. It's not a death penalty, but it's an incarceration for life. There was absolutely no intention on God's part to bring those people to the land. Absolutely no intention. Based on what the Old Testament writers are saying, that is completely 100% clear. There is no doubting it. And there is no doubting that, you know, as... uh, I'm not sure what, what, what Darren's trying to get at here, but when you write sentences like, it was God's intention to bring the Israelites through the wilderness, it was his intention to bring the Israelites through the wilderness, you've got to be clear. You've got to be clear. 
Because, you know, I'm sympathetic to your message and I'm reading that and I'm thinking, come on, man. This, it's, it's more complex and nuanced than that. And I guess that's the, the nutshell version of what I want to say to Darren. What you're trying to do here, a lot of times when you're expressing things, it's more complex and nuanced than, than, than your presentation. And what that does, when people sense that, or maybe somebody's got a little more knowledge, you know, somebody knows a little bit more about the Old Testament, said, you know, hey, that's not right. You're misrepresenting that. How can I trust you? So back to your point, does God lead us through wildernesses? I don't think we can use every, every example, every sort of situational context of, of Old or New Testament as a being um, a kind of an, an, a quote unquote, endorsed by God method of teaching us or of helping us in our relationship with God. Does God have you in a wilderness? I doubt it. Are you in a wilderness? Maybe. Did you get yourself there? Most likely. Can you get yourself out of it? Maybe. Is God interested in you being out of it? Very, very likely. So, I mean, the whole idea of God's trying to teach me things, God's trying to teach me patience. I mean, I guess what I do, I guess it depends on the situation. I think that what God wants from me is God wants me to love God entirely, to love myself rightly, and to love my neighbor likewise. If I'm doing those things, if that is generally working for me, then I think, and we can talk, you know, again, it's another podcast as to, well, what does it mean for those things to be working? How would I know? What are the signs? And I think there are signs and indicators, both of it working and it not working. But I think this idea of, you know, God's uh, ripening me like an avocado left on the top of the fridge. Um, no, God's constantly in relationship with you and wanting that relationship to flourish. If God wants anything, God wants for you to have abundant life in and through that love relationship with God. Where you are known and you know God truly. And you act in truth, you're guided by truth with an orientation of love. You've been listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. So leave a comment on iTunes or over at the website, untanglingchristianity.com slash 52. If you'd like to be notified by email when new episodes are released or other news, subscribe to our mailing list, also available at the website. We welcome your questions, comments, or suggested future discussion topics by email. Send those to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod over at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.